Such sights to show you. Bring the motherfucking ruckus! Fuck you too! Can I catch that one more time? I had a prison once. It was AIDS. <laughs> the 80s were a pretty interesting time period. I wouldn't I wouldn't know. Oh <laughs> <laughs> You weren't alive for them either. Uh, that's the thing though. Sometimes you just hang out with a chronicle liar. Yeah, uh, good point. Like the people that said that Insidious 4 would be a good movie. <laughs> you mean 5. Oh, fuck. <laughs> you gotta remember, there, there are 5 of them. The 5th uh, one is... So, I wanted to I want to start off real quick. You know what... You know what war is missing from the history books? Uh, the, the Indian one? Uh, the one I just had in the bathroom upstairs. Oh, no. <laughs> That's pretty native. Oh, you're right. So what happened? Uh, give me the details. Indigenous. <laughs> you know, uh, should, I, should I put these in the social studies books for which grade? <sighs> Elementary at best, <laughs> dear Watson. <laughs> um, so Let's make sure these second graders learn about your poo. So I was, no, 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 that's not the point. The point I was getting to was I, I was stuffing my mouth with buttery buttery popcorn sucking down some some artificial peach tea and um filling my belly full of sour skittles and i had some sour worms and an orange soda cuz kel loves orange soda mhm what occurred to me about halfway through was that the red door? I'm gonna have to take a grumpy dumpy oh, no. after this movie, and then I started to think this movie is a grumpy dumpy. <laughs> <laughs> See, I just got constipated uh, the whole time. <laughs> ladies and ladies and gentlemen, I I it, it, welcome to Lots of Pasta. First off, uh, I am here, of course, with none other than uh, the sheriff in town. Deputy Dewey himself. The summer of Dewski is and, about to come to the end. And uh, obviously, you you have listened to the first two parts of this story, where we've uh, we've been combining our shared review slash reactions of the Insidious franchise uh, in anticipation for the new film, while we've also been reading a new. Uh, story series about a guy that was a cop, but then went, uh, he got blamed for a murder and claimed insanity, and now, you know, we're we're left kind of wondering where the story's going to pick up next, because it kind of left, it ended on this note of hope, and it was like, I'm going to get out of here, and, you know, the system isn't always inherently fucked when you're uh, a straight white male, so, you know, here's to that, I suppose. The dialogue might be better than Insidious Chapter 5. There's a lot of things that might be better than Insidious Chapter Five. If if we're just gonna, if we're just gonna get into it real quick, taking off the gloves. We we should probably do because it, it's the way we did the other ones. Just a quick like, you know, note by note of like what the like essentially what the movie is and why you know it's picking up at this point because it's like 
first movie, family, kid finds out, family finds out the oldest son can astral project. It leads to revelations that the father also astral projected as a kid. Uh, a, a demon was watching him. A spirit was watching him um, for possession. And uh, now a different demon slash spirit is watching the son for possession. It's a hereditary thing. It gets passed down. Um, sometimes it skips, you know, uh, people, family members. And sometimes it really hones in on, like, one person to just fuck the shit out of. And, um, you know, therein lies the, the fun part about bringing in a paranormal investigation crew and trying to figure out, you know, how to stop this demon in its tracks as it's trying to do its thing. And, you know, twists and turns and movie ends when we find out that, you know, in this process to save his son, the father was possessed and ended up killing one of the main characters who ended up being like an anchor to the franchise. Elise just loves to get choked. So <laughs> she she's dead. Second movie picks up. Right where the first one left off. Uh, Elise is dead. Everyone's confused. Uh, you know, there's a spirit possessing the dad. He's he's uh, going around charades. You know, the body is deteriorating, but he's he's hiding in plain sight, basically. And, even, you know... Even though the mom totally knew it at the, the mom end totally, of the last one. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, maybe not. Maybe, there's, maybe. There's, a lot, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot to unpack there. But the brother is also, like, opening up to his brother about the his ability to to, uh, you know, connect to the other side and all that stuff. And, you know, uh, they're, they're both, uh, coming back to terms of how, uh, figuring out that the, the dad is possessed and that they could do, possibly do something about it. And, you know, um, a new psychic dude, Carl gets brought in and he's the one who kind of figures it out with the paranormal guys really this time nice. around with his stupid fucking dice and, um, you know, together, with the son's help, they kind of, uh, you know, uh, get back into the other side the further, and they save the dad, and they reclaim his body, and they banish the spirit that was uh, in there, that was possessing him, uh, you know, good old Parker Crane, a.k.a. Marilyn, um, a.k.a. the old hag, who, uh, you know, creepy, creepy um, Mary Shaw from Dead Silence. So, um, that, that happened in two, and then there was, like, a break, because they went back in time, they started doing prequels, the third, the third movie is Adventures a prequel, with Elise. it's, it's the, it's the, it's canonically before the first movie, but, like, by a bunch of years, it's not, like, her origin, it's just kind of her, like, getting back in the game, it was their way of doing, like, a one-shot, like, a one-off where they can just tell an Elise story, even though she's been dead for two movies, yeah. and that's and that's fine because in in my opinion, I actually really like the third movie. Um, it's paced well, the acting is okay. It's Elise heavy. It's paranormal investigator heavy. It's the only one that really carries um, what I feel is the best components yeah. of Insidious without being annoying, and that's like I'm gonna flex on without being annoying, and that's fine. Because that movie ends with the red faced demon, and you're and you're kind of led into what will be the first movie, and that's and that's fine. Um, or was it Parker that shows up at the end of? I think it was Parker that shows up in the end because the red faced demon shows up at the end of the fourth one. Okay. With the, with the eyes bugging out. Right. Okay. It, regardless, it always it always seems to end on a twist. Like it always seems to end on a twist, and the twist is usually leading into the next the next facet. 
And at that point in Elise's life, she, uh, she had already dealt with, um, Parker because the, the, at the timeline, the dad, Patrick Wilson, as a little kid would have already been expunged. So I actually do think it was Red Face Demon. I think it was two movies of Red Face Demon lead up. Uh, yeah. At the end. That I think you're right. right. Yeah. So, uh, Fourth one is technically the third one in between, because it goes to her very because beginning. it goes to her very beginning and then and then, and then right hops the to right one. where the first one yeah. starts. So it's again like it the timeline is all over the fucking place, but that's also something that they that they say is like you know, it's it's inherent in the series because the series itself when you're in the further time doesn't exist, so it's it's weird. And it's a little bit convoluted to talk about, but if you've watched the movies, you're following along. If you haven't, we're summarizing them well enough so that we can talk about the fifth one. If you're listening to these and you watch horror movies, what horror movie actually is linear? They jump all over the fucking place. Literally everyone. Maybe, uh, maybe, Friday, maybe the, Friday. The Friday the 13th's yeah. go in order. The Nightmares go in order. Do the Nightmares go in order? There's an, mm-hmm. a, a prequel for Nightmares. Mm-hmm. Okay. Flashbacks. Saws all over the fucking place. Saws, all, yeah, all over no, the that's a great place. example. Saws all over the place. Final destination, final destination is all over the place. Um, uh, Halloween's all over the fucking place. Halloween now. is all multiple over the timelines. Place. <laughs> no, there are a lot of good examples there, um, but it's it's like the fourth movie is like Elise as a kid, and it's how she got into the game, and it's how she discovered the further and. and Suddenly just flash forward to her uh, being an old fucking lady, going back to the same house. And this is after the third movie. She's back in the game. She has the paranormal boys on her team. You know, they're they're a team together to investigate things. So there's evolution there. And um, they go back to her house that she grew up in where it's still spooked by the same demon. And they, ex- you know, they exercise that demon. And, you know, then it picks up googly-eyed, red-faced man <laughs> alluding into the first movie, which is fine. Everything aside, when you find out that the fifth one is going back to the story of one and two continuing nine years in the future of where two left off, what are, what are some immediate things that come to mind? For the Lambuts? Yeah. Like what, where, where did you want this movie to go? Whether or not it actually did it. Like what were your first thoughts to being told that the fifth movie is going back to the Lamberts and and it's taking place actual time skip to, to current day. Okay. So, obviously, the red-faced demon was the only thing that wasn't really completely answered compared to everything else. Because mm-hmm. Parker had his finish. Elise had her finish completely. So that was, like, the only thing that was left open. Yeah. So, obviously, hearing that that will be, like, the big bad in this one was interesting and intriguing. Since that's, like, such a strong figure nowadays. In, in, like, modern-day horror. Everybody knows the red-faced demon from the Insidious yeah. movies. G- great Iconic. mascot. That was the one I was going for. Great mascot. But, like, I think at the end of the last episode, I actually asked, like, would there be, like, fucking trauma for these kids that were, like, chased around with this fucking dad with a hammer? And, and sure was. enough, there fucking was. And there was. <laughs> Short-lived at best, but it was a big part of Dalton's character, just feeling like there was always something 
uh, wrong between him and his father, which which is fine, because skin level, that's a good place to start for the narrative of the fifth movie. The film opens up with death. Yeah, Grandma's dead. And, um... Your boy Carl shows up. Yeah, just short cameo saying that he knew he knew the mom and uh, the dad doesn't remember him from the second movie, which is fine because he told him to forget everything. Yeah, at the end of the second movie, they like hypnotize. They re yeah, they re hypnotize. They don't remember an entire year of their lives. Yeah, dad's real foggy. Kind of has problems maintaining emotions and memory and. It's kind of, it reminded me of Alzheimer's a little bit, just kind of being lost with a lot of different things and feelings. And the sun is just edgy as fuck. It's like it might as well be, you know, the Jared Leto tattoo on his forehead saying damaged because it's just that's that's his character. He's just I'm angry. No one understands me. I'm going to be a loner. I'm edgy as fuck. And that's fine, because trauma does that to someone. It shuts someone down. It makes them hard to talk to. It makes, you know, him hard to open up to. But then, like, you introduce the first annoying character in the movie, and he opens up like a fucking playbook. <laughs> I and have it, a friend now. And it's just it's just annoying. And, you know, the dad the dad's the more interesting side of the narrative, because he's trying to figure out what's going on. He, he starts seeing ghosts again, and then it's triggered by Dalton kind of experimenting with the further again he figures you know he he regresses and in in his art class his his professor gets him to kind of regress and paint something from deep in his mind and he ends up painting the door from the the first movie his, his fucking reaction to all of that too was nothing very banal it's like this is like a normal fucking very, tuesday well i mean i understand the confusion I understand the I don't quite get that, but like the danger aspect mm -hmm. of it where where the fear comes from, y you got to be able to act anxiety out better than just looking confused. Mm. And that was kind of my problem cuz like the night light scene was like the only time where I felt like he was afraid. <laughs> And it was interesting to see him kind of revert to being the child that he was in the first two movies. That was the first, like, first and only glimpse in this movie where I was like, yeah, that's your character. That's still who you are. You're a little fucking kid who's afraid of the dark, big, big red bad guy coming for your butthole. And, like, that's, and that's cool. That's fine. You know, there were, there were moments of that. But on the dad side of things, you know, he's he's getting spooked by his dad, who died, who he never had a relationship with, and I immediately called that shit. And, because mom is dead and there's a spirit showing up at his mom's funeral, like, naturally, it's a spirit that had a relationship with the mom. You know, they talk about him not knowing his dad so many fucking times, it's about time they throw dad into the mix. And then you find out that dad had the same history of mental illness that, you know, was obfuscated as the further and his astral projection and people, you know, back then, 60s, 70s, things weren't as forgiving. You know, the medical system just claimed someone was crazy and put him on a ton of medication and he just killed himself. 
which is probably the more interesting story. I'd, wa- I'd want to go back and watch that. It reminded me so much of the butterfly effect with Aston Kutcher. You did say that, yeah. Because I'm pretty sure yeah. they literally had a note that said, this ends with me, and that's literally what happens in the butterfly effect. The guy wanted it to end with him and like choked out his son for that. So oh, I just thought that point. was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, like he doesn't tap into that, and when he starts to see it in his son, he wants to kill his son. Because he, he realizes that the son is the reason that it's, the it's mom... A, it's a curse yeah. more than anything. It's a curse, yeah. So so it's interesting what's happening to the dad. The dad's journey is fun. He's he's coming back to terms with things uh, in an investigative way where he kind of confronts his ex-wife and says, what the fuck happened? And that's that's fun because I turned to Deputy Dewey and I said... You know, the whole forget everything, it didn't take with Elise as a kid. When when he when Josh was a kid, it didn't fucking take when Elise did it. So why the fuck would they do it again in the second movie <laughs> with, with fucking Carl, who, no offense, isn't Elise, but also Demon is still going to exist whether or not you know it's there. Ignorance is not bliss in this universe. Ignorance is not bliss, and and the idea that they were saying, we're going to forget this so you don't have to carry the weight anymore is fucking stupid, because if someone, if someone was walking around you with a knife at all times, wouldn't you rather know that they have a knife, or, or is it better to just ignore the person? Because I don't know, I would rather know that there's a knife yeah. in the room floating around me just always around that just person. always around we just make him angry right like now. that's the analogy yeah like that's the analogy like dalton is literally being chased by by a figurative knife and they're saying eh, forget about it <laughs> forget about it and the dad's just like what about me and they're like hey forget about it <laughs> Dalton, the first time he goes into the further, he decides to, to play a little instrument that his annoying fucking uh, college I mean, I barely roommate want, had. I barely want to talk about it. <laughs> and it immediately woke up the demon. was like, oh, he played I, a note. Oh I'm a coming. I barely want to talk about the roommate, man. It's just <laughs> wacky side character, person of color. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't belong. It just doesn't belong in this movie. They shoehorned her to to try and make you like her very quickly, I think. It's like, let's make her wacky and funny and 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 sarcastic. And charismatic. So we'll be like, oh, yeah, we should like this person because we love Tucker and Don't tell me who to like. I don't come into an insidious (laughs) movie because I like anyone. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's so weird. It's so weird the the choices the the writing choices the character choices because let you know let's get into Dalton. Dalton's going to art school. He regresses. He starts you know tapping back into the further, and it's it's you know dipping a toe, dipping a foot, fully you know fully in style of progression, and it's rushed and awkward. And it doesn't, it doesn't, 
you, you, I turned to you, I think, near the end, and I said, they're forgetting the rules of their own movie. Mm-hmm. No longer return to because, their bodies. Because there wasn't a, you need to go there, you need to walk through the thing, you need to see all the spirits around you mm-hmm. to understand that you're in danger, you need to not interact with them, you need to remind yourself that you're living to, to kind of keep yourself tethered to this plane, like, you need, like, none of those rules matter anymore. Just it's that. just, I'm there, I'm gonna fuck around with things, oh, there's a demon, he's in my body now. Mm-hmm. Like, like You're the first the... two movies lay down this fucking groundwork. You're out in the middle of the fucking further and you yell out, Dad. Dad isn't coming. Yeah. Everybody else is fucking coming. Right. Ugh. Right. And instead they choose to show that in reality for some reason. Mm-hmm. They show a wicked group of contortionists... Moving in on his body in the real world to the point that Chris can see them. And I know, and I know that when Elise in the first movie said that boundaries start to get blurred when they're actually taking possession and shit, mm-hmm. and she saw some of the ghosts yeah, and so did Rose. in the first house, like that's, that's fine. But it was very brief. But it was brief and it was, sh- it was shocking, you know, and for this one, it's like, Man, let's just bring everyone along. Let's just string everything along. Let's forget our own rules. Let's let's immediately like Redface didn't even come into power. Like he's slithering around on the ground all cracked open and and shitty looking. And the minute the minute Dalton is just like I'm going to go full in and and I'm going to remember all this stuff. Uh, Redface just fucking sheds his skin and goes, I'm back, baby. Like, you might as well, <laughs> you know, do the the whole mask thing, fucking smoking. Like, it's just, from that moment onward, it's just, I'm in Dalton's body. That's the end. I got it. You know, uh, mission accomplished. And Dalton's done nothing but look around a room. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? I thought there was a, I thought there was a struggle. I thought there was... There was a process. I thought there was a tug of war between light and dark and that the, the kid has to be kicked out of the body. Isn't that what the third movie's about? Yeah, the third like, you have to get kicked yeah. out of your body. Well, it, like, took, like, half of her soul in the third movie. Yeah. But it's still it's still the process. Like, like there was a reason that Parker took over the dad's body in the second one. It's because he spent too much time just wandering around the outskirts of the farther. Trying to find his way back, yeah. In, you know what I'm thinking about it now. He was you near. Know he funny? was near death too, wasn't he? I don't. I don't remember. I think that. he was because they're all like, "Wake up, Dad! Please wake up." Maybe. I, I think so. But you know what I'm? I'm just realizing now. What's up? Insidious Five is called the Red Door, and Dalton never finds the Red Door in the further. He just shows up in the He's room. He's just in the room. Yeah. Yeah. He just shows he up. He just in wakes the room. up there. Yeah. Cause, he cause never he even goes back to the flashback. Red Door to find the Red Door. Like mm-hmm. what? We've, we've, we've established that the red door is this deep, dark part of the further that you have to go through, you know, the stages is like going through the parts of your life and then you connect to the gray world and then you connect to the underworld. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's the Greek method, right? Mm -hmm. That's, uh, that's what's his, that's Orpheus's journey. Yeah. Going, going to the underworld to get his girl back and, and, you know, saying don't look back and he comes back to reality. It's, it's from what you know to the unknown to the underworld. And Dalton just goes from college dorm room Mm -hmm. 
to the underworld <laughs> just like that, and he's and and red face guy is like fuck yeah, <laughs> like it's and the dad's at least in the further, but like he doesn't actually like find it either. He just sees they don't the show that either. He's he's just immediately in the unknown, the in between the purgatory mm-hmm. between the two realms, and he's just immediately there saying, "I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> what am I looking for?" Oh, there's me and my there's kid me from and nine my kid from ago. from the second movie. I, I guess, guess I better from go where the they came movie. from. I guess I better go that way, where, again, they don't show the red door. He just shows up in the lair. Why is this movie called The Red Door? Because <laughs> he painted it. Because he painted it. Let's get to that. With his own blood. Let's get to that, then. Artistic. Because, because I thought, here, follow me on this, that The Red Door was a metaphor. <laughs> in the first movie, the door is not a literal thing. The door is a metaphor for a stage, a step, like I said, between purgatory and the underworld, where spirits become demons. The red door, and the red door is elicited that way in the fourth movie, <laughs> because Elise sees a different red door, mm-hmm. and that's how she finds key hands. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all coming together, guys. It's all coming together. I think Parker Crane even had a red door too in the second movie. Yeah, yeah. Red was the red a thing. door. The red door is not a literal thing. <laughs> it is a metaphor for the unknown, for the spirit realm, into what makes you a conniving son of a bitch demon. Part the, it, it's it's what it's what turns you into instead of avenge sevenfold screaming ghost, it turns you into a demon. Mm-hmm. It's the next step. It's not just I'm gonna I'm gonna chill around the 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 empty body, the empty vessel. <laughs> And be a weirdo into full-on possession. Mm -hmm. Because when when Avenged Sevenfold finds out that Darth Maul is in the game, he disappears. Yep. He he stops stalking. He he chooses to stalk the house instead. I'm going to stalk that baby. I'm going to stalk that baby. I want that baby. In ten years, we're going to get Insidious 6, the the green door, starring (laughs) Avenged Sevenfold and Kelly, who was not in this movie. Anyway. She missed her grandma. Grandma's dead. <laughs> so, listen. Listen. The point I'm trying to make is the red door is not real. It is a metaphor. And for a movie to walk the line of saying this thing is a literal thing. Now, the reason I say that is because Dalton... That's what paint... That's what Dalton regresses and paints the red door. He, with his chalk... He draws an outline, and the memory brings back Redface, who slams his hand into the chalk and causes a cut, and the cut causes the red, and the red goes on the paper, and the blood of the red blood goes onto the door that he's drawing, and it re- makes him remember the red door. Close so the, door. the painting becomes a literal thing representing a metaphor. The door's open. Close right. it. Literal thing. Representing metaphor. That's fine. You know, it's it's okay. I can I can run with that. But at the end of the movie, when Dalton more or less leaves his dad to just fucking Hodor, <laughs> and just says "fuck you, dad" and runs off, and you think he's leaving him, he's really going back to his room in reality and painting the red door black. It's almost like. It's almost like 
the ending of It, where they're just like, I'm not scared of you anymore. <laughs> and, like, it doesn't work for this series because the dad is the one doing the work. Mm -hmm. Dalton's something... belief in a door does not make the door yeah. not exist. When has doing something in the real world ever helped the further? Ever. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. This isn't Freddy fucking Krueger. We're not pulling mm -hmm. him into reality and shoving a knife in his ass. Like, we. this is... You are painting a picture, and if that makes you feel better to make it go black to say I'm better than the memory, then that's you not giving the metaphor power, which is fine. But don't illustrate it as in I'm getting rid of the door by painting it. To which Darth Maul just goes, and, and go and blips out of existence. <laughs> and the dad goes, oh, I guess I'm not stuck here in the further holding this Hodor, you know, fucking bullshit. And goes back to his body and everything's fine. That's the movie, folks. That's it. We just summed up the entire movie. And if you can't tell, I'm kind of pissed. <laughs> and W.D. Dewey walked out and said, I feel unfulfilled. <laughs> <laughs> There's no jump scares at the end either. It's just, no dopey-ass twist. That's it. Could have at least brought me back some more Nick the Dick, who is a wonderful character. Appropriate, <laughs> at best. He's a frat so, boy. And that's all you need to know. There were, there were two funny scenes. I mean, there were more than just two, but there are two that come to mind. Most appropriately. Um, Elise comes back in a high-def video talking to a college. Which would have been filmed... Which would have been like filmed 10 years prior to when this movie takes place. And I don't know if anyone remembers the early 2000s, but HD back then looked like fucking shit. <laughs> and DV tapes were a fucking thing. And that's how... That's almost like... If I remember the first movie correctly, wasn't wasn't Specs actually like carrying around like an old school camcorder? Yep. Yep. Like that's that was the time period. Mm -hmm. So for them to just be wandering the internet to old school paranormal investigator videos and finding this obviously older, obviously filmed nowadays, obvious sitting in a classroom that exists now, not then, with new technology and new definition. Just the worst, the worst way to utilize Elise in this movie. And that brings me to the second funny thing, which is Elise ending up, coming up at the end of the movie, just to say some bullshit to Josh that that doesn't look like it was filmed at the same time. It looked, it looked like they filmed her scenes of her just standing there and talking Splice separate from when he was mm. on set. So when it's spliced, she's smiling when she's talking, and whenever he's looking at her, she looks like she's pissed. <laughs> she looks so upset to be dead. But then you cut to her, and she says, like, life goes on, you'll talk to your mother again, it'll be fine. And then she disappears, because, remember, she's been dead since the first fucking movie. Steady strides. <laughs> ah! <laughs> uh, no. And, you know, there was a point there in the last episode that we recorded where I said things were getting better with each movie because I almost felt like... Well, not almost. I definitely feel like Elise's story is better than the Lamberts. No. 
and I feel like the third movie had the best... It'd be like if you continued the story with the family from the first Conjuring that's not the Warrens. Mm. You're not going to give a fuck about that. Yeah, them. you're not going to give a fuck about a, a, the, all those girls and, and them running around screaming and talking about their trauma and shit. You just don't, <laughs> you just don't care. Um, here's the thing. I think this movie, in hindsight, makes me like the first one more. And I might actually think the first one is the strongest now. I agree. And it's only because the writing in this one was so bad, and the callbacks were so overutilized, and the fact that they were forgetting all of the rules they established in the first fucking movie in their own series, and the fact that, you know, the the... the the parallel storytelling just did not work between Patrick Wilson and, and Simpkins. Like, the back-and-forth shit just didn't work. The pacing was off. The instructions were off. The monsters were off. The 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 further was destroyed instrumentally. Uh, the, the Just the progression of things, it was just wrong. And, I, and I'm just like... The first movie does it so much tighter. The first movie's just so much tighter. It's 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 contained. And it has rules, it has a system, and it applies itself to it. And it says if you stray from these rules, you fucking die. Things from this film just aren't memorable. You that take, too. You take Red Face Demon out of this one, the other demons are not memorable. Nah. Like, Throw was, up ghost was boring I as was, fuck. Yeah, I was talking to you earlier. Like I, I don't know the... who that ghost was in the in the MRI machine. It didn't make sense. <laughs> Never popped up again. Just, contor- just that one little jump scare. The contortionist go- ghosts were stupid. Am I missing anything else? No, those are. The I only cheered ones, when really. Parker Crane came on the screen. Yeah, there for was that a moment. Split second. There was a moment where Simpkins is in the past and he jumps to his dad to try and knock him off of his mom. For, you know, and he's older now, so he has the power to do that. And he's reliving the memories that he had that he wasn't around for in the second movie. And for a second there, you think he's going to like punch his dad, but his dad gets the better of him and turns him back over. And for the first time, Dalton actually sees that it's not his dad. He sees that it's Parker Crane. And it's the same shot almost from the second movie. Mm-hmm. It might and even be the same It might even be the, the same shot movie. from the second movie, but... I cheered when Parker fucking showed up because I was like, finally, something that makes sense, that has rules, that applies to the timeline, that that is symbolic and scary and interesting. Just a letdown. It's not that I went into this movie with a hundred fucking expectations. It's not like it's not. This isn't Halloween Kills to me. (laughs) I'm not going into Halloween Kills or Halloween Ends. Going, holy shit, they have a fucking, they have a fucking, like, fandom to keep in mind with this film. Like, if they stray from that fucking path, they're upsetting a ton of people. Like, no, this is just shoddy filmmaking. And, like, I I don't mean to blame it on Wilson. Because Wilson, Patrick Wilson, who plays the father, directed this one. And I'm, I'm defending him because it looked fine. If this is, like, his first feature-length film direction, good for you. Because it, it looked fine. It looked, you're missing some stuff, but it looked fine. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if James Wan was just too busy masturbating over Aquaman 2 to, to get away and, and watch something else to help out a little bit, but you're missing a couple little nuances, uh, you know, some symbolism, you know, some, some fucking metaphors, and visual, you know, visual gags. Like, we only had a couple of them. Like, this is a series that's almost known for visual gags at this point. Um, the writing of college students. But it was the writing. Is just like, oh, okay. You just watched an episode of Fox News, and this, these are the college students you just Orin, have to make up. Oren Pelly, who wrote the other ones, came back with James Wan to write this one, and there was a there was a third person involved who might who might have been involved with the other ones. What the fuck happened over the last couple years? Have you guys been outside? Have you talked to people? I think I turned to to Dewey like two or three times in the movie, and I said, "We're people. We talk like this." Like. <laughs> Because it just didn't, it didn't work. It didn't make sense. Yeah. And it was worse with the kids. It was, it was the absolute worst with the millennial college students because quirky fucking roommate, everything that came out of her fucking mouth sounded wrong, transcripted, like someone, like someone watched a YouTube video about how kids act Mm-hmm. written by an adult and they just said oh yeah that's definitely a kid just and then have, they wrote the same way just have enthusiasm and say ridiculous shit and say ridiculous shit all the time <laughs> you fucking idiot you fucking idiot and then even Dalton had some lines where it's just like would his character really say that at that time at that moment the the best part of their acting was in the beginning with him and the dad Yes. When, when he, told when him he fuck wasn't off, talking at all. It was the And best he part. was emoting more than he was communicating. <laughs> but then it's even like Dalton is trying to remember things, so he calls his little brother whose name escapes me. I think it's Jacob. And and it's just like while he's talking to his brother and they're trying to relive things, he's like, It's okay. You can tell me, little bro. Yeah. And I'm like who the fuck wrote this? Is this what happens when you go to college? Do you get all cryptic? Then I ain't going. Hang, Hang up. up. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Are you serious? Like, uh... like, there's James Wan being funny. And I could go back and watch Malignant if I want to experience that. There's James Wan being funny. I know what that is. Him being tongue-in-cheek, I, I can get. It worked great with Tucker and Specs in the first couple. Oh, 100%. But again, you remove two of the better aspects from mm-hmm. this series and all that's left is bland. Yeah. Bland annoying. <laughs> kind of want them to die. <laughs> oh. Kind of want something bad to happen to them, <laughs> you know? Um, and let's, you know, that brings up a wonderful fucking point. These guys get haunted again and Roseburn just fucking sits there and watches it happen and doesn't think, I'm going to call Carl, I'm going to call Tucker, I'm going to call Specs. we're going to get the team back together, we're going to solve this. Nah! You just go into the further, just figure it out. Honey, this happened already ten years ago! I'm not going to cry on camera again. I've done it already too many times. Well, now that we figured it out, do you want to like get dinner later? You know what? Have you met Brad? (laughs) (laughs) I kept making a joke that Rose Byrne was way too attractive to be single while divorced. 
and that Patrick Wilson constantly trying to come back home and like re- fix their marriage was just like wrong because if it's been nine years, the entire she's time. absolutely had a boyfriend named Brad. The stepdad <laughs> like, has been there the entire time. Yeah, stepdad is totally fine, clean, like nice, likable guy. There's, you know, there's a reason why your daughter is a is a fine human being. It's because of me. It's because he's been raised by Brad. <laughs> I just. How many problems can I have with this fucking movie without without actually hating it? I don't hate it. it it's hard to hate something that's stupid. This is a big letdown. Right. Like we, Disappointed. We watched the last four and we did not have a problem with any of those. We've had like little problems with like ADR and in certain directions, but like technical each film has good qualities and this one just post production problems, technical problems. Yeah. No. This movie didn't have post production problems or technical problems. This movie was just bad. Bad riding. Just bad. Thank God they're all on strike now. <sighs> I um I heard something fun the other day. Um James Wan or Blumhouse or both of them flat out said uh, we're gonna put the Insidious franchise on hold for a little bit. You're probably not gonna see another one for a while. I mean, we haven't seen one for a while right now. And in the very same sentence, I read an article about an Insidious spinoff, <laughs> starring starring like Kumail Nanjiani or something. That's oh. that's supposed to film sometime next year. Hmm. And I'm like, do you mean Insidious as in like the Lambert family? Because they could stay away. Elise, like, all that shit, like, that could be done. That could be dead and buried. Wherever you're going, I don't think they're calling it Chapter 6. I think they're doing, like, a like a Book of Saw, like, Spiral uh, Book of Saw thing. Maybe just call it The Further. And they're just gonna... No, it's something else. At least I, I think it's something else. I can't, I can't confirm or deny. But it's just in the same sentence, they're saying, we're done with this insidious story, but let's see what other dumbass shit I can pull out of my butthole to put on film and write about spooky ghosts and astral projection. And if a red fucking door shows up, I know someone in the audience (laughs) is going to light the movie theater on fire. It's going to be me. Um, yeah, no, it's fine. They could go away for a while. I, I heard something fun the other day, just to change topic completely. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I, I did say that I liked the nun two trailer because the nun one, trailer sucked and it showed a movie sucking the nun 2 trailer shows it's a good trailer and it shows what could potentially be a good movie that being said i'm not in love with all the conjuring movies annabelle 2 is probably the best one of the bunch um and even then it's annabelle 2 so it says a lot i think i liked comes home because that one has the warrens a little bit more Oh, okay. Like the girls in the, like combina- the room. The, the combination one. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. That's fine. The, You're allowed to like whatever you like. The nun first came in Conjuring 2, right? Correct. Like it was like a side ghost in that one? No, it was the main ghost. Was it the main ghost? I thought uh-huh. I thought the dude, the like... He ends up being a scapegoat or a, oh, red, okay. a red herring. Gotcha. You know? I have seen up, that one No, Conjuring Two it ends with with Valak. You know, it's it's the whole I'm gonna I'm gonna banish you because you're gonna, uh, the fortune that you're being told is it's gonna kill my husband. So after they banish the old man, they find out that there's something more there's dubious going Valak on. Yeah, and that's and that's fine, because I'm I'm saying uh, none two looks good, but I found out the other day, direct to Max, the new HBO uh, series, um. 
our platform, sorry, uh, they are doing a Conjuring show a la the old Friday the 13th show, which was about um, the weird shop, and they would just pick an item and tell a story. Oh, what they're doing is they're doing the Warren's room of yeah. haunted shit. Okay. And they're just going to pick something else kind of what they and did tell the story and Annabelle do comes home. and do little one shots okay. in an, in, a, in an entire TV show. There's all kinds of shit in that room too. So that's that what I'm really saying. Fun. Yeah. And if it doesn't actually have Wilson and Farmiga yeah. uh, in in the thing, I'm going to like it more. Mm-hmm. Cuz that means you could bring you could do guests on different things, you could bring new writers into different mm-hmm. things. New you families, you new don't stories. have to worry about a continuum. You know, you could just have the universe be the universe. And I and I, I think that has the potential to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I love me some Tales from the Crypts. Yeah. I like that. Definitely. Singular that storytelling, linear, quick, short. It's almost like this show. Freaky Ghost Beds. Freaky Ghost Bed. Bang bang. Um so I guess we can read a story now that I'm I'm done being angry i don't know it might it might be it might it might not end well what if what if the guy goes to the the mental institution and and then he he starts painting and and then he realizes that something from his past needs to come forward and then he decides all right well i'll paint this painting black and it'll fix all my problems. But I'll always remember my problems because that was the problem. I forgot my problems. You made me remember. <laughs> wasn't the first part about ghost kids? It was. I loved it. What happened to that? There was no, there was no ghosts in the last <laughs> there one. There were no ghosts in the last <laughs> there one. There was just uh, some, some rape. Just sad asylum. <laughs> just... Just a, a, a penitentiary, mm-hmm. Eastern State, 101. Yep. Maybe, hopefully we'll get What to, happened to the ho- ghost hopefully, kids? Hopefully we'll get to drinking some of that good old water again, and we'll get yeah. some ghosty boys back. Yeah, I want to get back to uh, Formon Mills. <laughs> Formon Mills. <laughs> I want to get back to, to uh, 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 General Mills, <laughs> and I want to... Uh, All right. Let's dive into these Cheerios. <laughs> I want to get back to it, and I want to figure out what's going on there, because um, it's not that I didn't like the second part. The second part was just fine. Uh, you know, I think I said One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's just, mm-hmm. it did what it wanted to do, and that's fine. You don't always need to tell the same story repeatedly to tell the story. Like, that's okay. I'm all, I'm all right with that. But, like, lots of unanswered shit floating around. Um, wondering where this person wants to go in the third series that apparently uh, connects to the other ones. He's now at the the lower security insane asylum, mm. which is where the. I'm just hoping from. it's a future where he's out. I I don't think so. I think that's where they were sending him. Maybe, maybe. All right, let's read the title. The title will give us enough information that we can figure it out. Oh, I have to read. Summer of the Vengeful Dead in Wichita Falls, Texas. Oh. So we're going to a venge- Vengeful Dead. We're going to a Vengeful Dead concert. It's a little bit different than a Grateful Dead concert. Yeah, instead of everyone getting stoned, they you get, get stoned a different way. Killed. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um 
I'm going to start this one because I feel like you started the last one. Hooray. Yes, you read that right. I'm now a resident at the North Texas State Hospital in Wichita Falls, Texas. Okay. So he has moved hospitals. Now that I've revealed where I am, you should probably be able to guess where I was. I no longer fear for my safety and therefore have no need to obscure my location. Many of the commenters on my previous posts stated their willingness to break me out of Smithfield, even though that would have been unlikely, I didn't want to take any chances. Additionally, the more real-world publicity I drew to Smithfield and Dr. Summers, the greater chance Dr. Summers would silence me once and for all. I have a sneaking suspicion that I was meant to die at Smithfield at the hands of Dr. Summers, whether in the form of an experiment gone bad or in my room as suicide. He knew that he was largely in control of the review board process and could basically keep patients there as long as he chose, free to perform whatever experiments he wanted until he had used them up. If it hadn't been for Sarah fighting back against Victor, I don't believe I would have ever left. I owe her my life. My life? The facility here is quite a bit different. There are no large fences or guard towers protecting the perimeter, just a small four-foot fence that would only stop the most geriatric of patients. There are guard stations at the entrances for checking people in and out of the campus, but otherwise a determined patient could escape pretty easily. I'll answer the question you're currently asking yourself. Yes. Where's the beef? Oh, no. Yes, I could leave at any time. Doesn't answer the question. I could hop a fence and hitch a ride right out of here, but that would only cause more problems. If I was caught, I'd probably be transferred back to Smithfield for being a flight risk. No, too risky. I need my life back, and I'm willing to continue patiently working the system to accomplish that. Besides, I won't be here long. I've been told that most patients stay here less than 30 days. I'm completely lucid. My meds are working as prescribed. So other than an evaluation and some behavioral, behavioral therapy, all that's left for me here is waiting. But what an interesting place to wait. The Northwest Texas Insane Asylum was established by the Texas Legislature in 1917 and began housing its first patients in 1922. It was designed under a cottage plan, which was typical for the late 19th and 20th centuries. In a cottage plan asylum, there would typically be a large administration building located at the front of the campus, which would be surrounded by communal buildings, such as chapels or kitchens. Instead of housing patients in one building, the cottage plan employed many individual buildings, each housing a separate patient type. The NTIA was additionally equipped with a hog ranch power plant, florist building, and other industrial type buildings, which made the campus largely self-sustaining. It even had its own cemetery for the bodies of deceased patients that remained unclaimed by family and friends. At some point, the name was changed to what it bears today, most likely coinciding with the shift away from the barbaric treatments that asylum patients had typically endured and towards the more medicinal and therapeutic approach that is practiced today in modern hospitals. Yesterday, when we finally arrived, we pulled up the long circle drive to a large brick building. The administration building was stately in nature, with dark red brick and white trim 
and bearing four large pillars that helped bear the weight of its three stories and front balcony. Inside, the staff was pleasant and helpful, and soon I was checked in and directed across the campus to the building where I would be staying. Alex, who had worked it out so he could accompany me here, said goodbye and secretly handed me my phone for the final time. I tried to hold back my emotions, but succumbed to a brief moment of sadness as he left. Alex had been a good friend, after all, and the only real one I had had for the previous seven months or so. He believed me. More importantly, he had believed in me. A nurse, Emily, accompanied me over to my residence hall. As we were walking, I noticed the grounds looked more like a college campus than a hospital. There were at least 30 brick buildings spread out in the distance, manicured although wilting in the Texas heat, grass, flowers, and a gazebo. The buildings appeared to be in decent shape, although most were beginning to show their age. The grounds, however, did not feel like a college campus. The air was thick with silence, as if something oppressive had taken over the airspace and left no room for natural sound. One reason for this anomaly, there was no animal life. I didn't notice any squirrels hopping between trees or any birds soaring above, just the gnarled reaching branches and the empty cloudless sky. Interesting. There were, well, they say that animals have a sixth sense for uh, other spirits and the undead and stuff. And so if they don't feel that, if they feel bad juju, they're going to avoid that place. There were no people around either, although Emily said the patients were allowed to move about the grounds at times when accompanied by a nurse. I knew there were people here, but it came across as a ghost town that at some point had been abandoned to history and time. When Emily's voice pierced the silence, I winced internally, like when someone speaks in the middle of a prayer. Don't get me wrong, though, holy would be the last word I would use to describe this place. In the 50s, there would be dozens of people all over the grounds. She continued, waving her hand toward the back of the property. There was a library, a fashion shop, a movie theater. The superintendent wanted the patients to feel like they were part of society, that they were normal people. He figured that would help them reintegrate if and when the time came. The locals in town actually used to call it, uh, call it LSU, which was short for Lakeside University, Lake Wichita is across the road there. Now, we're lucky to have 200 people at any given time. It's actually much better for the patients now, in my opinion, because we can give each of them more attention. You still haven't answered my question, I joked, smiling at her. About whether it's haunted here? I think some of the residents would say so, especially the ones in the geriatric ward. They're always talking to someone or something. She smiled and looked at me, gauging my reaction, and I contorted my face into one of terror, hoping to appease her. She laughed. <laughs> In all honesty, I've had a couple of instances where the hair stood up on the back of my neck when I was working night shifts, but I've never seen a ghost or anything. The old M building, which was used to house the truly insane patients back in the 50s and 60s, is rumored to be haunted. People claim to have seen lights come on and off by themselves, and some have even seen a nurse that walks up and down the halls. That building was state-of-the-art for its time, and thousands of very disturbed individuals were treated there. So I guess I can see how the rumors came about. I'm not much for believing in ghost stories, though. You don't happen to drink the crazy water, do you? I figured it was worth a shot. 
She looked at me oddly. Why do you ask that? I drink it some. As do many of the people who work there. The bottling company sends us cases of the stuff every now and then. This hospital actually used to have an outpatient clinic in Mineral Wells, but I'm not sure if it's still open. Some of the older nurses used to work there. She stopped in front of a red brick building. You don't seem at all like the type of patient we normally have, and you sure do ask a whole lot of questions. Are you sure you're supposed to be here? She smiled. I couldn't tell if she was being serious or just trying to make me feel better. Long story was all I managed to say. Well, here we are. This is where you'll be staying, although I wouldn't get too comfortable. Once you talk to the doctors about how you're feeling and any medication you're taking have been evaluated, you'll be well on your way to getting out of here. For now, take a look around inside and someone will come back and grab you in a bit. I walked inside and was greeted by another nurse who showed me to my room. It was much better than my cell at Smithfield. There was a double bed, an attached washroom, and even a television, albeit one with only a couple local channels. You can stay in here and go over to the common room if you like, the nurse said. As soon as we can get you over to be evaluated, we will. I clicked around on the television a bit before deciding to test out the common room, which was down at the end of the hall. Several patients were inside either milling about or playing games. As soon as I walked in, I was greeted by an older gentleman. I'm Eugene, he said empathetically, reaching out a weak hand. Nice to meet you, Eugene, I said, returning the gesture and thinking to myself that I would need to search for some hand sanitizer very soon. I own this place, but I don't remember inviting you. One of Eugene's eyes lazily meandered around the room while the other one looked dead at me. I wasn't sure which one to concentrate on, so I focused my gaze on his forehead. I won't be here too long, Eugene, I promise, giving him a wink. <laughs> he scowled and backed away a bit. <laughs> Nothing better than, like, playing along with crazies. You are one of them sissy boys, are you? His lazy eye was going wild. Oh, no, sir. No, indeed. <laughs> I'm watching you. He said again, both eyes seeming to focus on me for a bit before parting ways again. I walked away as fast as I could, sitting down across from a man who was sitting with his head down. When I got close enough, I noticed he was talking to himself. I think you gotta do that louder for the fact no, 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 I won't, I won't. He was saying, bobbing his head up and down rhythmically and wringing his hands. I got in trouble, no, no more trouble, no more. He looked up, finally noticing me. Listening to. He was saying something in my direction, but I couldn't make it out. I picked up a magazine and tried to look busy. He was talking more loudly now. Don't listen to. Don't want to burn. Once again. I looked up again and the man was now Asian. Oh. <laughs> Wrong time. Fried rice. You pay now. God How you pay? It. God damn it. How you pay? I looked up again and the man was now staring straight at me. Well, staring in my direction would be more accurate. His eyes had glazed over. To look, uh, It's the look that someone gets when they're lost in thought and looking without really seeing. It was completely unnerving. You won't listen, will you? It sounded more like a statement than a question. The man was now nervously scratching himself and starting to draw blood. I had had enough by that point, so I jumped up as quickly as I could and walked back down the hall, alerting the nurse to the man's outbursts. I could still hear him yelling as I closed the door to my room. Later yesterday evening, I was back in my room again. 
I had been taken to another building on campus earlier to see the doctor and be evaluated. I told him about my progress at Smithfield, and how I was feeling, this time keeping my composure and saying all the things I needed to from the beginning. We talked about the medications I was taking, and the doctor asked about how they were working. Based on my current mental state, the doctor suggested I started weaning off of the antipsychotic, but to keep taking the other two medications. I agreed. I also found out that my treatment plan would entail receiving some basic behavioral therapy to make sure I was okay to rejoin the real world. They would also teach me some coping skills to prevent any future mental breakdowns. The doctor figured I could be out within the week. As I was leaving the building, I noticed the building across the street didn't have any lights on and looked rather run down. I asked the nurse what it was used for and she confirmed what I had guessed. It was the M building that Emily had mentioned. For a moment, I could have sworn I saw a flicker of light on the third floor, immediately reminding me of the one at the Norwood Hospital. I blinked and it was gone, although something told me I hadn't been imagining it. I felt a sort of pull towards the building, but I knew there was no way in hell I was going to go inside another abandoned hospital. The visions of those dead children flashed before my eyes for the first time in almost a year and I cringed. I was going to bed early so I could be well rested during my therapy session in the morning. Crazy people and flickering lights be damned. I awoke, startled. I had been dreaming, but it was already fading, the details just out of reach of my conscious mind. As my eyes adjusted to the dark, I realized two things. I was standing, and I was no longer in my room. My entire body seized at once in fear. My heart began pounding in my chest. It's a terrifying feeling to go to sleep in one place and wake up in another, with no earthly idea of how you got there. Sounds like my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Sounds like when I went on a bender and I ended up in Florida. <laughs> I was in a large room. The slick tiled floor felt cool beneath my bare feet. I slowly turned my head to get my bearings. To my left was a wall containing several windows. The moonlight uh, just bright enough to illuminate the window sills. I crept over quietly. My heart sank. Across the street was a small white building that looked familiar. I had just been there earlier to meet the doctor, meaning I had to be in the M building. By then, my eyes had adjusted to the dark. The room I was in appeared to have been used for some type of medical purposes in the past, but was currently being used for storage. There were equipment pushed against the wall haphazardly, giving the room a claustrophobic feel. I began to notice the oppressive silence I had felt earlier in the day was magnified here, making it feel like a living, breathing thing. Not wanting to waste any time, I made... I made turned and quickly made my way to the door into the hall. As I walked out into the hall, I swear I felt my shirt snag on something, almost as if it had been grabbed from behind. I twirled around, my mind conjuring visions of ghouls or some headless freak who was trying to pull me back into the dark abyss, but there was nothing there, only the dead silence. The building was large. I climbed past old furniture, rotting piles of documents and folders, and dilapidated equipment, past heavy doors with barred windows down two floors and finally out into the night air through a broken first floor window. As I looked back, I felt the pull again, more strongly this time. Go back, it told my body. I fought it with everything I had, eventually making it back to my room. I washed my feet and sweaty face before climbing into bed and letting the cover swallow me. I couldn't fall asleep, at least not at first, and my mind was racked with restless thoughts. I have never sleepwalked before in my life, I was sure of that much. I had no recollection of how I had gotten into the building or why I had gotten there. I silently wondered if the loss of that time had anything to do with the electroconvulsive therapy I had received and the fleeting amnesia it had caused. 
It was certainly possible, but for some reason I felt like there was more to it than that. Up until this point, though, I had understood that the dead were unable to possess or make suggestions to those who had not partaken of the crazy water, that it acted as some sort of key that would open the door of the vengeful spirits. If that was true, how had I been drawn into that building? There had been something out there, something evil, whose presence flowed out of the broken windows to pollute the surrounding air, driving off all the signs of life. The most terrifying part? I knew it wanted me there. The next morning I was back again at the white building across from the M building. I had been brought over to begin my short behavioral therapy class. I sat in the back and listened as the therapist talked about coping strategies and life skills. It was all pretty good advice. The thing about mental illness is that it's often a self-perpetuating cycle. Symptoms lead to worry, worry leads to symptoms over and over and over again. The key to beating this, or at least not exacerbating it, is self-awareness and understanding that your negative perception of your symptoms and circumstances are often your greatest hurdle. I had been doing a lot better lately. I had been feeling complete, whole again. I attributed it partly to the medicine and partly to techniques sim similar to what the therapist was describing. That morning after the sleepwalking incident, however, I must admit I was failing a bit at the don't worry mantra. Walking several hundred yards in your sleep and finding yourself in a creepy-as-fuck insane asylum and no easy thing is no easy thing to brush off. After the session, I vowed to take some of the therapist's suggestions and apply them. Alas, as I walked out the door and felt the familiar pull of the M building across the street, the worry and fear came flooding back over me like a rogue wave on a stormy sea. Ooh. The rest of the day went by smoothly. I met with the doctor again, had lunch, attended several classes in the afternoon. I stayed to myself mostly, and that evening I was able to read a large portion of a tattered copy of The Sound and the Fury, which I found in my room. When I got to the second chapter, I read aloud from the first paragraph told from Quentin Compson's point of view. Because no battle is ever won, he said, they are not even fought. The field only reveals to man his own folly and despair, and victory is an illusion of philosophers and fools. The words echoed around the room and then disappeared with a solemn certainty. That was the type of cynicism I was trying to get away from, but I certainly understood the feeling of total helplessness that must have sparked that gloomy worldview. I laid the book down and dressed for bed before collapsing into the covers. I closed my eyes momentarily and then realized I had forgotten something. I got back out of bed and shuffled over to the door where I'd laid my shoes, just in case. I slept walk again that night. This time I was standing under a line of trees when I awoke, the wind whipping through my clothes and hair. The trees were situated far enough apart to allow the moonlight to pour into the space beneath them. The sparse grass was cut low, and about five feet in front of me, I noticed a small concrete block, possibly stone, set into the ground. I walked forward and knelt down, wiping some dirt away from the surface. There was only a number inscribed, 467. There were no words, markings, with which to identify what I was looking at, and I stood up and noticed another block about five feet further, 392. The blocks appeared to go on for some ways in all directions. Man, if Eugene finds out what you're doing, you're going to be in trouble. I thought for a moment before the realization hit me. I was standing in a cemetery. This is not a typical cemetery, obviously. There were no names, no inspirational epithets, and no dates to mark the years between which these poor souls had suffered through existence. No, the nameless bodies here were identified only by numbers. 
These patients had died while in the care of a hospital, and no family cared enough to bring them home. Now they rotted in the ground, unclaimed and unidentified, as if they had never lived at all. The thickness in the air took on a different tone here. Where there was loathing before, here there was only despair. I did not want to remain a moment longer than I had to, that was for sure. As I turned to find my way back to the campus, I heard a loud screeching sound that felt so close it might as well come from my own mind. As I turned and shielded my face, I saw a flash of white moving into the trees and heard what I thought was flapping of wings. Whatever it had been, it was gone now, but I wasn't going to wait around for it to come back. As I ran, I noticed a wrought iron gate about 50 yards ahead of me. Beyond it, I could just make out the silhouettes of the buildings on the NTSH campus. The following morning, my third day in Wichita Falls, I awoke to a firestorm of activity. Nurses were scurrying about and I noticed the presence of security guards for the first time since I had been on campus. The patients in my building were also in a frenzy. Some were writhing on the floor, some were speaking gibberish, and many had gotten into fights with one another. I managed to flag down Emily, the nurse I had met the first day, who stopped for a moment to speak to me on her way into the nurse's station. What in the world is going on, I asked. I know some of the patients here are crazy, but do they usually act out at the same time? Emily looked exacerbated. She had sweat beating on her forehead, and the rosy color of her cheeks had spread to her neck and forehead. We had an incident this morning. She looked down to the hall towards the common room. Eugene! Stop that, Eugene! Hell yeah, Eugene. I turned my head and saw the man who had told me he owned the hospital sitting next on the floor at the entrance of the common room with two handfuls of hair in his hands. Although he had very little to start with, it did appear to be his. I saw another nurse rushing over to him. An incident? What does that mean? She looked hesitantly at me. After a moment, she responded. Well, you'll find out anyway. She motioned me into my room, where she followed. Early this morning, a patient harmed himself. We believe it was an attempted suicide. That's awful. Yes, it is. What's worse is how he did it. There's a storage shed where the maintenance guys keep gasoline for the lawn equipment. It's usually locked, but somehow the patient got in. He must have doused himself with the gasoline and lit himself on fire because we found him this morning in the grass outside the shed with serious burns over most of his body. He was alive and covered with fresh grass clippings, which had sort of fused into the burned skin. I, I, I'm telling you all this detail yeah. <laughs> for your know-how. Yeah, let's tell these patients here exactly what At happened to this man. At some point, he, his will to live must have kicked in. He rolled in the grass to put the fire out. I felt sick to my stomach. I tried to erase the image of the man's melted skin from my no, mind's No, but that's eye. why I told you those <laughs> details so that you would have them to carry on. But it just won't leave because of this crazy fucking nurse. My mind snapped back into something one of the patients had said to me. Don't listen to him. Don't want to burn. Won't again. Oh my God, was it the same patient? I immediately looked down towards the common room and then back at Emily, who obviously understood what I was thinking. Yes, the patient was housed here. He's one of the ones who talks to people that aren't there. That makes me sick. It was all I could say. Tell me about it. <laughs> in great detail. Fuck, Please, she takes tell out a, me. She takes out a cigarette and lights it for God day. Somehow the patients across campus know. They've been acting out since it happened. She could tell what I was thinking. You know. 
I have been thinking about what you asked me when we first met, about whether this place was haunted. It's always terrible when a patient harms themselves, especially when it's as severe as this case, but that's not what is worrying me so much. What are you worried about, I asked. I could tell something was really getting to her. Gosh, this is gonna sound so strange. She paused. There is one story everyone who works here has heard about. It happened back in the 70s, I think. A schizophrenic woman escaped from campus one morning. She jumped the fence, ran to a nearby gas station, where she doused herself with gasoline, and somehow set herself on fire. It was a big scandal in town, and everyone knew about it. She did not survive. But she was also one of the patients who heard voices. I could sense the pain in her voice. This morning, the patient was found by one of the groundskeepers probably minutes after this happened. Apparently, the patient had been unconscious at first, but had woken up briefly when they put him on the stretcher. He was trying to talk. He said... Her voice trailed off. She cleared her throat. He... He smiled, even though his lips had been burned away, and he spoke more clearly than he had ever spoke before. He said, the voices, they're finally gone. Well, at least he was happy. Classes and therapy had to be canceled for the rest of the day. All of the patients, even the ones being housed in other buildings... We're in an uproar, like some kind of collective psychosis had taken hold. Somehow, they either all knew what had happened or something similar was happening to them. I think the staff got everything under control for the most part. The patients in my building were restrained, medicated, or locked in their rooms, and I assume it was the same story, uh, the same story campus-wide. I saw Emily later, and she said that although there were a couple of smaller incidents, Everything had been handled properly by the staff, and the effects of whatever had happened were beginning to dissipate. That night, I didn't sleep. I knew if I closed my eyes, I would likely find myself elsewhere when I opened them again, and I didn't want to give that the upper hand again. I was going back to the AM building. It had obviously taken me there and to the cemetery to show me something, but I wasn't quite sure yet exactly what that was. My guess was that even though I hadn't drunk the water, my, psych my psyche was still accessible in my sleep. It was the only thing that explained the sleepwalking. I hope that if I had wanted to or was able to hurt me, it wouldn't have done so by now. I'm honestly not sure what I was going to do or find. I can't explain it. I only knew that I had to go. Once I was ready, I crept out the door and headed towards the building. As I got closer, I once again felt the strange pull. This time I wouldn't ignore it. I climbed through the same broken window I had before and made my way into the structure. The interior was dilapidated as the Norwood Hospital had been, except that time and gravity had had destroyed it rather than vandalism. Rather than vandalism, I climbed past the old furniture and piles of flies before reaching the stairwell. As I ascended, the presence I felt the first time I was there became apparent, but stronger this time. It was anxiety and despair solidified. The thick feeling oozing through the air like so much spoiled mayonnaise. <laughs> Interesting. I found myself going back down the familiar path to the room on the third floor. 
When I finally arrived, the door to the room was closed. Reaching out of the door, I tapped it several times for some reason, as if I thought it was hot. When I finally turned the handle, the door creaked open unassisted, finally stopping at the wall behind it with a dull thud. That's when I saw it. Perched on the windowsill, illuminated by the moonlight, was a great white owl. Even from a distance, I could make out the bulbous head, small black beak, and telltale black markings. I took a step forward, its watchful eyes tracking my movement. It raked its talons across the windowsill and puffed its feathers in response, never taking its eyes off of me. My head began to feel very strange, almost as if I was wearing a cap that was way too tight. Man! That's it. It's, it, it, it's man in all caps, so it just makes me want to go, <laughs> man, but it's really, man, <laughs> do not come any closer. Uh, weird side note, I am currently teaching a summer, like, program, and one of my students every day comes with me and goes, hey, man, man, <laughs> the voice, hey, man, <laughs> echoed in my head, like the remnants of a sentence spoken in another room, or another life. For that matter, each word heavy and overwrought. I stepped on in my, tr I stopped in my tracks. A thought immediately escaped my mind. Who are you? We are the many. I tried to speak, but the voice spoke before I was able. It could obviously understand my thoughts. You must listen. We are not meant to be here. We must be released. Released. How? We do not yet know. <laughs> Great. What happens if I don't figure it out? As long as the sands of time fall through the hourglass, so will be our vengeance while we remain on this earth. I would release you if I knew how. Believe me, I've already lost so much. There will be a reckoning oh, when the rooster comes again. The many will be made flesh. We have come before. We shall conquer the earth and all who inhabit it. You have until then. A chill ran through my spine. My legs collapsed under the weight of the words and I sunk to the floor. The pressure in my head finally relaxing. The owl took flight, circling slowly around the room. For a moment, I thought it would barrel into me. Talon's ripping flesh, but instead it soared over my head and into the darkness beyond. Man, man, give me some fucking ghost girls again. What is this fucking Neil weird Gaiman, ass owl shit? Neil Gaiman over here smoking too much fucking pot, talking about owls and fuck all. What a long, strange trip it's been. <laughs> As the title suggests, this will be my last post for some time. You'll find out why by the end of this post. Wonderful. <laughs> I want to take this final opportunity to explain what's happening with me now, what I've learned about my situation since the incident in the M building, and what the future holds for me. I hope by the end of this post you'll also have a good idea of where I stand, where we stand, in relation to the curse of mineral wells and its implications for our future. After all, you're a traveler on this journey as well, and you deserve any bit of closure that I can deliver. You were with me at Norwood Hospital when I made the gruesome discovery about the experiments Dr. Norwood and Mariana were performing on the children. You were with me at Smithfield when the electricity coursed through my brain. And you're with me now as I turn the final page and move on to the next chapter. I can't begin to explain what your attention and support have meant to me. 
I know that I would have given up a long time ago if it wasn't for you. Thank you. Thank you. Many times over. First, some good news. I'm out. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, Claude. He means he's gay. Cool. I've been waiting to say those words for the first time in years. Eugene was right. I am a sissy boy. He runs that hospital, you know. But it hasn't been nearly that long. Time in captivity ticks differently, I've found. Actually, it was July 13th, 2015, just shy of a year ago, when I was first arrested for Mary's death. I'm glad those days are long behind me. Uh, words never uttered by anyone in the system ever. You murdered someone. You wouldn't get out in a year. Those days are behind you. It's in the past. After my run-in with the white owl, the sleepwalking stopped. The following night, I steeled myself for another tramp across the hospital campus and was shocked to wake up the next morning safe and sound in my bed, a cascade of morning light pouring in my window. The campus felt different that morning, although I couldn't place my finger on exactly what it was. I remained there only three more nights and was finally released the morning of my eighth day in Wichita Falls. There are two things that happened before my release that I think you should know about. The first occurred five days into my stay at NTSH. I had seen Emily outside of my therapy sessions and had asked about the man who had set himself on fire, and my heart sank when she told me that he had died in his sleep that morning. His body had just been too badly burned. I thought of the nameless cemetery north of campus and wondered if that's where he would end up. I'm sad, she said. But for some reason, I think those two days were... To the best of his life. Why would you say that? He just seemed happy. She wrung her hands together and appeared to be holding back tears. Despite all the pain that man was in, he smiled. He smiled the whole time, they said. When the nurses that were caring for him asked him why, he just kept saying, the voices are gone. The voices are gone. They said they even caught him singing once. After she left, I thought a lot about that man and how he had rolled in the grass to put out the flames. I also thought about the woman who had burnt herself over 40 years ago. Initially, my theory was that both had been possessed and had been forced into self-immolation by whatever vengeful spirit was whispering in their ear. That's still a possibility, but now a new theory has taken root in my mind. What if the patients burned themselves as a form of purification? Somehow I believe he knew that fire would drive out the evil and had felt it once the spirit was gone. That's what made him change his mind. It makes sense. Fire has always been a cleansing element. Do you think it's possible that, like a phoenix, he was ready to be reborn again from the ashes of fire, safe from the reach of the spirits? I'm not sure if I'll ever know, but I have a feeling I need to keep this idea in the back pocket. I fear I may need it again. The second thing was also rather uplifting. The day before I left... I happened to be with a nurse who had to run by the woman's wing of the hospital. She asked me to wait outside the nurse's station while she checked on another patient, and out of the blue a familiar face walked down the hall toward me. Sarah? I squinted my eyes. It was definitely her, but she looked totally different than the last time I saw her. Her auburn hair, once long and unkempt, was cut much shorter and pulled back tightly behind her head, framing a face that no one could argue was anything but beautiful. Her eyes were full of life and bore no trace of the terror and distrust they had harbored before. She sauntered over to me, her hips swinging with each step. Hey, it is you. You look great. I tried my best not to ogle her. Oh, thanks. I definitely feel much better. 
She was smiling. I had no idea where they'd taken you. I had hoped it was somewhere else, but I found out it's really not that bad here. No, you're right. She agreed. They wanted to keep me close so I could testify in Bumblecock's trial. I let out a laugh. Same old Sarah. Actually, they are transporting me back to Wilbarger County in a couple days to meet with the investigators. Oh, and by the way, thanks for the warning about Victor. I never got a chance to thank you. Oh, it's not a problem. What's going to happen after the trial? I'm not sure yet, but I'm hoping I can get out. The investigators are putting in a good word with the people here, contingent on my cooperation in the case, of course. I've got two cats who are missing me at home. I have to run. Stay the hell away from me. That last part she said was sarcastic with a smile, twirling around and walking out of my life for the final time, glancing back once over her shoulder as she went. After Sarah was gone, I thought about how great it had been to see her. Have you ever had someone burst into your life and be a part of it for one brief, fiery moment in time before leaving again, just as quickly as they came? And you wonder, what did it all mean? What does the future hold for them? That's the way I felt about Sarah. I was grateful for her, for the chance to see her again, and to know that she was going to be okay. Also, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that her revenge on Victor was not dissimilar to the patient's act of setting himself on fire. She had also burst forth into flame, brightly and boldly, and purified evil that was plaguing her, by cutting off a man's penis. <laughs> if her new appearance and attitude meant anything, it was that she was able to be reborn as well. Probably because of the penis. Mm. As we pulled out of the circle drive and in front of the NTSH, I think I felt the sun and the wind through the rolled-down window for the first time in my life. I mean, really felt it, with every nerve and fiber of my being. I was riding with Stan, who had agreed to give me a ride. It's cliche, but I felt like a great weight had been lifted off my shoulders. Like everything was going to be okay. For the moment, I had chosen to forget about the White Owl's warning and focus on my newfound freedom. Now comes the part that many of you might not agree with. Stan took me back to Mineral Wells. I'm here now. There are several reasons for this. The first is that all the possessions that I owned in the world are here. My parents were able to move my furniture and other belongings out of my apartment and into two storage units, and Stan had agreed to park my truck at his home. Mineral Wells is my home, too, at least for now. I haven't figured out yet where I will be going. The only thing I know is that I can't stay. I don't have a conviction, but by the time I returned, the word had gotten around about what had happened. I won't be able to show my face around anywhere without constant harassment and strange looks. Besides, who's going to hire a psycho killer like me? My career in law enforcement is obviously over. Stan agreed to let me crash in his spare bedroom until I could put something together. Over the last several days, I've finally had the time to think critically about everything that had happened and what it means. The incident at the M building ended up being the key to understanding the connection between what was happening in Mineral Wells and the Owl's ominous message. I've been doing quite a bit of research on Stan's computer now that I have a monitor and keyboard rather than a tiny phone screen, and I've pieced together a theory based on what I found. And frankly, it terrifies me. Let me start at the beginning. We already know that somehow the mineral water in Mineral Wells became cursed. As Teresa explained, it was most likely a result of a deal with a demon or possibly the devil himself, resulting in people flocking to the water for its healing properties, and in turn making J.A. Lynch and many of the other people in town rich. As those who traveled to Mineral Wells to be cured eventually found out the water had no healing properties, and the majority of those worsened or died there, their souls become trapped in the mortal realm. 
The curse made them vengeful, and it also made the citizens of Mineral Wells blind to the possessions and unexplained deaths. Because I never drank the water, I was able to see the situation for what it really was. Throughout my story, you may have noticed the emergence of a pattern where it came to how things were named. Specifically, the letter M began popping up over and over. I hadn't really considered it insignificant until one of the commenters on an earlier post of mine mentioned it. Think about it. Mineral Wells, Millings Sanitarium, Mariana, Mary Scott, The M Building, Michelle, and The Many, just to name some of the top off of my head. There may be more. It seemed like an interesting coincidence, and if I've learned anything over the past five years, it's the importance of keeping an open mind about things like this. So I did some research, and you won't believe what I found. The letter M, historians believe, originated from the Egyptian hieroglyphic for, you guessed it, water. Apparently, Semitic people working in Egypt around 2000 BC borrowed the symbol, and it became the Semitic Mem, the 13th letter in the alphabet because their word for water started with that sound. I got chills when I read that. Incidentally, M is also the 13th letter of our alphabet, and I'm sure I don't have to explain the significance of the number 13. So the letter M is somehow intrinsically tied to water, and specifically the water in mineral wells. What really got me was when I realized mineral wells contained two instances of M, the second one upside down, forming the W. To me, the upside down letter, like an upside down cross, means corruption. I don't know what that means other than all of this is connected. That's a bit of a stretch. Now let's go further down the rabbit hole. I believe when the white owl mentioned the rooster, it was speaking of the year of the rooster, which is the 10th animal in the year in the Chinese zodiac. There are 12 animals in all representing 12 spokes on a wheel, and every 12 years the cycle restarts. The next year of the rooster begins on January 28th, 2017. And remember what the white owl said. When the rooster comes, the many will be made flesh once again. We have come before we shall conquer the earth and all who inhabit it. Seems like some like conspiracy cop- theory. Seems like YouTube. some copy pasta you put at the end of Pepe like Sylvia. a smart comment and then you put this bullshit in at the end. <laughs> I know what this means. At least I think I do. I believe that the many are vengeful spirits who have been trapped on earth as a result of the water's curse. Every 12 years, the wheel makes a full turn and the spirits gain enough strength to be made flesh. They have come before each time with a singular purpose to destroy humanity. I looked back at history for proof and found several interesting things that may fit. In the summer of 1969, Charles Manson and his followers committed nine murders over the course of five weeks, including the famous killing of Sharon Tate and four others in Hollywood Hills' home. Manson was trying to start an apocalyptic race war, which he called Helter Skelter. 1969, as you may have guessed, was the year of the rooster. It's interesting. In April of 1993, another year of the rooster, David Koresh, the cult leader of the Branch Davidians, had his final showdown with federal agents outside of Waco, Texas, resulting in the deaths of four agents and over 80 cult members. Most of the victims died in the ensuing fire, but Koresh was shot by his right-hand man. I did not look into the other years, but I'm sure similar instances of madmen trying to make their mark on the world, infamous and unknown, could be found if one looked hard enough. I believe that those men and others throughout history were the men were the many made of flesh. For some reason, they were never able to accomplish their purpose, and I believe that after January 28th, 2017, the many will come once again in the form of a man. He will be evil, incarnate, and will attempt to bring about the destruction of the world. He is the Antichrist. There is only one way to free the many, 
end the curse that plagues mineral wells, and to save the world, to defeat the Antichrist once and for all. How exactly remains a mystery, but if I had to guess, it would, I would bet it has something to do with fire. There's only one person capable of doing what must be done. Me! Even though my freedom tastes sweeter than any delicacy that has ever touched my lips, I now realize that this is something that I can't back down from even if I wanted to. The truth is, this is my destiny. It always has been. There has to be a reason I was forced to endure what I have. All these experiences have to mean something. What happened to Mary and all the others who have suffered can't have been in vain. If and when the Antichrist comes, I'm going to be ready. By then, I hope to find some others to join me in common purpose. I don't think I can defeat him alone. If you never hear from me again, it means I was wrong. It means you can go back to your lives and don't have to worry about everything coming crashing down around you. But one day next year, you may hear about a young charismatic man who has a certain way with people. He may have an unusual knack for calming people's fears and making them feel as they belong. He may be ruggedly handsome or boyishly charming. Whatever he is, he is dangerous, I assure you. He is the many-made flesh. He wants your life and the life of everyone on the earth. If you see him, run as fast as and as far as you can. Or, if you're marked like I am, you can take a stand. Stand. And fight. The end. Go back to that date. I. Th oh, sorry. <laughs> it which, was which January one? 2017, right? Yeah. Isn't that when Trump took office? I'm. I didn't want to say it, but I'm willing to Google <laughs> it now, because I'm gonna go ahead and say he is neither ruggedly or boyishly <laughs> handsome. Oh no. Uh, Malcolm oh. Turnbull. Either way. I feel kind of like how I felt when I left the theater. Unfulfilled. Maybe his crazy ass should have stayed in the mental I'm th hospital. My first reaction was, I think you should go back to the hospital. <laughs> no. No, he was Trump, already Trump in. was already in. Yeah. I thought that was 2016. The election was 2016, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so like, close to. Trump did in. a ton of shit on that Saturday. Of course he did. But nothing. Aw, oh, John Hurt died. God damn, Ollivander. Maybe, you took him from maybe us. that was the Antichrist, yeah. Maybe John Hurt was it. I, I John Hurt myself reading this story. <laughs> it had a decent beginning, I thought. Listen. And then it got away listen, from the Listen, Linda, boys. the first part was fine. <laughs> the second part was fine. What the fuck happened with the third one? Uh, there is an owl. Deputy Dewey... Is this the first bad story we've read? Have we read bad story uh, before? I feel like Needs More Shit was probably the worst one that I've read with you. Oh, that's a good point. Needs More Shit was tough to but get through. I think that was still potentially better than this one. Because that was just dookie. We were having a good Literally. time. We were having a good time with Poopy, and it was like a Resident Evil fanfic. Yeah, it was. This is just, this bad. Is just the ramblings of a madman. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I had a good premise, just fucking faltered. What the fuck happened? I literally want to ask, like, he got 19 pages into it and then saw the owl and just said, nah, fuck it. <laughs> I don't want to tell the story anymore. So, that's, that's the funny thing is, because when the page count came up, I said, wow, this is almost half of what we read mm -hmm. the first time. And I wondered why. 
And I was like, this dude gave up. So page... This dude was like, I don't know how to end this story, and he just shit the bed. So page 1 to page 84 is Insidious 1 to 4, and then page 84 to 110 is Insidious Oh my god, that's a great door. example, because, <laughs> because um, Formon Mills is Insidious 1 and 2. High emotion, high anxiety, lots of shit going on, ghosts everywhere. Mental Asylum is... Elise's mm-hmm. backstory yep. going back into the past having something real to latch on to having something solid good foundation learning your, your way through things Insidious 5 fuck whatever it. the fuck I just read fuck it do you remember I, what you remember just before fuck it. let's cares? do another one and end the story tell people to stop bringing it up ow <laughs> why'd you say ow owl oh owl and ow Ow, my owl. I want to say ow, my asshole, but also owl. Um, here's the thing with owls. All right, follow me. Mm-hmm. Extraterrestrially, owls are like misconstrued for short grays, like a lot. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't pick up on the spiritual aspect of this as much as I kind of thought he was. I thought we were going. I thought we were turning the die. In another direction. I thought mm. we were going from spirits to mental to alien oh, for a second. The holy trinity. Yeah, almost. Yeah. Almost. The creepypasta trinity at, at will. But it's interesting, like, owls, I think, symbolize a lot of things. And it's like, I don't know if I would ever look at an owl and be like, I am legion. <laughs> I am death. I'd be like, nah, that's a fucking owl. Yeah. If you're hearing voices in your head, my dude, you might want to take more medication and go back to laying down. No. Like the I, owl's talking I, to me. I finally got out, and now they want to pull me they back. They want to pull me back. Oh, no. But I had a lot of fun with I you would, today, man, I would but it have, was a shit show. I would have liked it more if he realized, oh, I actually have been drinking this water the whole time. Fuck, I'm crazy. I feel like oh, that man. would have been a what better a circle story than this bullshit. What an M. Night Shyamalan twist you got there. I mean, you gotta drink water from somewhere, right? Was he just dehydrated the whole fucking time? Finding out that the medication he was taking in the second one was a mineral form of the water from the first one could have been the twist in the third one. IV bag, saline has to be yeah. some type of water. Some you know? type. We could have made it better. It could have been better. <laughs> and I, I don't want anything to do with it. Don't say I could have made it better. I'm just saying it Fix could have it, been better. Fix it, Dr. Death. Here's the thing. I will refuse to call you Captain. Here's the thing. <laughs> you are my doctor. That's fine. You know, surgical gloves and all. I Here's the thing. What... No. What just, what? I think, I think what you need right now. I feel broken. Is. I feel like I don't know which way up or down is. I got a lot of things going on in here, man. You know what? I just want everyone to know out there that I hate toilet truck. I hope he dies. I generally hope Toilet Truck dies. This story was a toilet truck. <laughs> I'm going to level with you. It started off as an ice truck. It started oh, off as an ice cream yeah, truck. Yeah, it's, 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 you it know, became it, a toilet it truck. Had, it had the sound. 
and it made me want to come and grab some ice cream. But then when I got there, I literally pitched it to you as like, oh my God, Deputy Dewey, we're going to read a police drama. It'd be so cool. We, we, we played Get Out before where we were in jail. And it was that for a hot sec, a single episode, and premise was just dropped. And he got out a year after murdering someone, Deputy Dewey. <laughs> Would you have let him out after a year of murdering someone? I know I would, especially in Texas where the death penalty is still real and you cut a person <laughs> up real fucking good. <laughs> that literally made me cackle. Yeah, he'd be dead. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'd I'd rather go back and rewatch that last one <laughs> with the cringy millennial dialogue. But we have to watch the Matthew McConaughey one with Renee Zellweger. That's fine. We could do that. It's so bad. I never said I wouldn't. It's so bad. That's fine. Will we ever watch we love a ben. good series again? <laughs> Will we ever do anything good again? That's the new question for lots of pasta. When does the show get good again? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know. January twenty eighth, twenty twenty eight. No, it's twelve years from twenty seventeen. So the show's not going to uh, get good until twenty twenty nine, guys. <laughs> the next year of the rooster. When you finally do a face reveal, and people be like, "Oh, he cute." Nah, it's going to be more like dreams face reveal, <laughs> where they're just like, where they're just like, "Oh, he's a white guy." <laughs> what? He's a he's a mid white guy. Who would have thought? Mid as fuck looking white guy. Um, here's the thing, right? No, oh, this is a mid as fuck looking white guy. You? Damn it! <laughs> that mustache ain't fooling anyone. Fuck. So listen, so listen, right? I promise that there are still good stories to be read that I've been holding on to for a while. I was holding on to this one for a long time. This this one uh, came from the compendium. I, I transferred everything a long time ago, so I don't have the exact dates anymore. But this one was one I... Like, obviously it was written back in 2016, so, like, maybe even the first part further than that. Yeah. But it, I've had this one for a while. We didn't start the show until 2016, 2017. This yeah. one this one had been coming a long ways. The archives. And it, I'm going to do the thing I do now that I usually regret, and I'm going to see if this continued. <gasps> I'm going to see if this continued. Can, because we, can if, we have a part four, guys? Because if we have a part four... Oh, it's a real place. Would you look at that? Would you look at that? Uh, it's 103 degrees right now. Let's take let's take a look. Oh wait! No 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 no! These remember they were split into parts. No, that's this is all of them. Okay. This is all he's done. You got to remember that they were split into parts. They were they were different series. What a shit show! He calls it a grand finale. It was anything but that. Click on it too. Yeah, let's look at the comments. Huh. Interesting. They the literally the top comment. It's exactly what we asked about. Someone approached him wanting to make a movie about this. I hope it wasn't James Wan. <laughs> Damn, been here since day one. Oh no. 
<laughs> Stand still writing to Eminem. <laughs> I like this. Someone said you are the Antichrist. You've you've mm. you're the one who's gonna lead everyone because you you're the one who's been spoken to. I actually I felt that a little bit when I was reading the ending. And to be fair, I was like, you're the crazy one. He did, he did talk all the time about like how like people are like following him now and things like that. So that is yeah. a good theory. <laughs> Someone someone goes hard into, I, I want to point it out, but, like, you might want to go back on the antipsychotics. Oh. Interesting. That's, that's enough. That's enough of that. Oh, my God. Hilarious. Hilarious stuff, folks. Um, I hope you enjoyed the journey. I, I had a lot of fun, as per usual, uh, watching movies with Deputy Dewey and just kind of shitting on things, but I, I had higher hopes for the series, and I am I am disappointed. I am sad. The t the word of the day is sad. I'm sad that uh, this did not turn out better, and it just kind of shit for the finale. But you know, so did Insidious. Yeah, it's kind so of, I guess it, it kind of makes sense because like throughout this entire what time we were hyping things up, and then it what just a vibe came crashing fucking down. What a mood, what a vibe. Make that your 2023 vibe. I, I'm sad and disappointed. Do you guys want us to go to Mineral Wells and do a podcast there? Let Is there a rainforest the cafe below. in Mineral Wells? Because we can go do it. Is there a hard rock in Mineral Wells? Because we could go to that too. I mean, there's a hard cock in Mineral Wells. Let me oh, tell you no. Do you know what war, what battle is missing from the history book? of this bitch the the mental one i've gone through fucking today 